Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Monday, June 19th and Tuesday, June 20th, 2023. Uh, there is a lot of material to cover, so I'll try to condense a little bit, maybe. Uh, there are a couple of anniversaries. Um, they're in the... the <laughs> They're in the written newsletter. I'll just read a couple of them. Uh, on June 19th, 1821, there was a, this was a, one of the earliest battles of the Greek War of Independence. Uh, an Ottoman army defeated a group of fighters from the Greek independence movement, the Society of Friends, uh, in a battle in modern Romania. Um, obviously, the Greeks' fortunes picked up after this because, of course, they wound up winning independence. Uh, on June 20th in 1631, a, a group of Algerian pirates sacked an Irish village, uh, the village of Baltimore, carted off 107 captives. This is, uh, I just like this story because it's uh, so incongruous to me that Algerian pirates sacked an Irish village. I have a little, uh, there's a little write-up of it. There's a link to it uh, in the newsletter tonight if you want to uh, read more. And most moments on June 20th, 1789, members of the French Third Estate took the tennis court oath in which they pledged not to dissolve under royal pressure. This is, of course, one of the uh, big milestone markers uh, and acts of defiance by the Third Estate uh, in the French Revolution helped establish the power and the staying power in particular of the National Assembly. So a very important event indeed. Uh, on to the news. Uh, there has been a recent flurry, in case you haven't noticed, of bad climate news. There will be some more later in the newsletter. But uh, this mostly seems to stem from the onset of a new El Nino event in a world that is considerably warmer than it was the last time El Nino hit in 2019. Uh, but even people who study climate and were expecting rough times seem to be surprised. And there's a piece at CNN I've linked to uh, by some of the data that they're seeing in terms of temperatures, ocean temperatures and air temperatures, the amount of carbon in the atmosphere, the disappearance of sea ice, all these things seem uh, somewhat surprisingly bad, even under the circumstances. Uh, there are new reports of uh, very high ocean surface temperatures around Ireland and the UK. Uh, Europe, according to a new report from the Copernicus program at the EU and from the World Meteorological Organization, is now the fastest warming continent uh, in the world. Uh, Europe, of course, experienced a sweltering summer last year. Uh, the heat contributed to over 1,100 deaths, and that was without El Nino contributing to high temperatures. So I don't mean to uh, laugh, but it is going to get very bad this year, I think. And we've already seen it to some extent, but it's going to get worse. Uh, also, on Monday, the United Nations adopted its High Seas Treaty, which seeks to prevent protect ocean ecosystems and biodiversity in areas that are beyond the reach of national territorial waters. Uh, UN members will have the chance to sign the treaty during September's General Assembly session. Uh, the next step, of course, will be ratification. The treaty is considered fairly significant in terms of ecological protection, though, of course, it is just as unforceable, unenforceable as anything else the UN does. So, um, you know, don't expect miracles, I guess, is what I'm saying. Uh, in the Middle East, in Syria, an apparent Turkish drone strike killed three people in northeastern Syria on Tuesday. The Syrian Kurdish administration in the region identified them as two civilian political officials and their driver. There's been no direct comment from Turkish officials, but Turkish media did report that they their forces had neutralized, that's the word they always use, a Kurdish YPG militia commander on Tuesday. The name released by in those reports does not correspond with any of the names Syrian Kurdish officials released, so either one of the victims 
used a nom de guerre or there's something else going on here uh, to, that, that uh, would, I guess, explain uh, the incongruity. Uh, in Israel-Palestine, an Israeli arrest raid turned into a full-blown military operation in the West Bank city of Jenin on Monday. Israeli forces backed by helicopter air support killed five Palestinians and a sixth died of his wounds on Tuesday. They wounded dozens more people. Uh, Israeli officials say that they came, their personnel, of course, as usual, came under attack while attempting to carry out an arrest against two suspected militants. A number of Israeli soldiers were wounded, so they brought the helicopters in to cover their extraction. This uh, caused the escalation. More Palestinian fighters came in from regions around Janine, uh, and uh, things just spiraled out of control. Another Palestinian was killed, and two more were wounded by Israeli forces near Bethlehem later on Monday. Uh, and on Tuesday, Palestinian gunmen killed four Israelis at the uh, Eli settlement, uh, which is south of Nablus. Uh, at time of writing, Israeli forces had killed two Palestinians in connection with this incident, though I should note that the situation is still developing, so some of these details uh, may be inaccurate or could change by the time anybody listens to this. Uh, in Kuwait, the Kuwaiti royal family rolled out its new cabinet on Monday, uh, mostly stayed the same. Uh, Sheikh, Ahmed, uh, Sheikh Ahmed Nawaf Ahmed al-Sabah uh, remains prime minister, as he had been before. Uh, there were changes in a couple of ministries, the oil and defense ministries, for example. Um, the parliamentary election, the snap parliamentary election that Kuwait held earlier this month has sort of uh, settled out. It looks like parliament will still be controlled by opposition politicians, 29 opposition politicians out of the 50-member National Assembly. Uh, so this likely means a continuation of the same turmoil that's been kind of marking Kuwaiti politics for several years now. Uh, in Qatar, the UAE and Qatar reopened their mutual embassies on Monday, formally ending the diplomatic rift they opened back in 2017 when the Emiratis, of course, joined Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, and Egypt in imposing a boycott on Qatar. Uh, the boycott ended in January 2021, but it has taken some time to sort out the full uh, kind of re-engagement uh, between the Qataris and each of these four states. Uh, and in Iran, the Canadian government blacklisted seven Iranian judges uh, on Tuesday for alleged human rights abuses. Sorry, on Monday. I, I said Tuesday. It's, it was on Monday. Uh, on to Asia. Uh, in India, by the time you listen to this, uh, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi will either be on his way to or have already arrived in Washington for a state visit, the main thrust of which, from the U.S. perspective, will be bringing India more firmly into Washington's diplomatic and military orbit. Uh, there's a piece at the Washington Post uh, that highlights the biggest hurdle in this regard, which is India's uh, military relationship with Russia. India gets a significant amount of commercial benefit from its relations with Russia, especially lately, now that it's been buying uh, lots of Russian oil at a discount. Uh, but the tie that really binds those two countries together is that the Indian military has been heavily dependent on Russian arms and support going all the way back to the Cold War, when, of course, the U.S. sided with Pakistan. Uh, now the U.S. is trying to develop a relationship with India, but this military tie, it, it sticks because you buy a certain country's weapons, you have to use their ammunition, you have to use their maintenance, and it just kind of pulls you into a long-term relationship. Uh, that said, Indian imports of Russian weaponry have been on the decline for the past few years. India has developed its domestic defense capabilities, it started diversifying its uh, arms purchases, and I imagine that the Biden administration will be offering some uh, heavy-duty U.S. hardware to try and speed that decline up. 
In Nepal, there's a new report from a Nepalese research institute that paints a very grim, I said there was going to be more bad environmental news, a uh, very grim environmental picture for the Himalayan region. Uh, I do have an excerpt in, in the newsletter tonight, but I'll just try to kind of summarize. Uh, basically, uh, the report says that glaciers in the Hindu Kush, which is part of the Himalayan range, are melting at a rate such a rate that they could lose as much as 75% of their volume by the end of the century. Now, there are about 2 billion people currently uh, living uh, within range of the rivers that are fed by those glaciers and depend on them, uh, who depend on them for water. And this is a potential disaster for those 2 billion people. I mean, it's a, it's a question of carrying capacity and how many people can actually live in this part of the world and uh, losing that much uh, volume from the glaciers would not be good uh, for anybody. So uh, that's basically what the what the report says. You can uh, click through and read more at the link. Uh, in China, as it turns out, uh, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's visit to that country may actually have exceeded expectations uh, to some degree by wrapping up on a positive, if somewhat ambiguous, note. Blinken met with Chinese President Xi Jinping on Monday, uh, which is was a little bit of a surprise. As late as Sunday, it wasn't clear that he would actually get that meeting. Uh, they agreed on the need to stabilize U.S.-Chinese relations. So here we go. Uh, like I said, it's pretty ambiguous. Uh, Chinese officials turned down Blinken's biggest request, which was for his resumption of regular military-to-military contract uh, contact. And there wasn't any indication of any substantive progress on the issues that, that divide the U.S. and China. Not that there was any expectation of that. Uh, but so, you know, it wasn't like he achieved peace in our time, as I, I think I said before he made the trip. Um, still, though, after a period of almost no direct interaction between the two governments ever since the Chinese balloon of death fiasco, uh, it does sound like the relationship is starting to normalize to some degree. On the other hand, uh, just before I finished writing the newsletter, uh, news broke that Joe Biden decided, for reasons beyond my understanding, at a uh, political fundraiser on Tuesday to refer to Xi as a dictator who suffered embarrassment. These are quotes because of the balloon of death fiasco. Uh, and I would imagine Xi is going to not receive that those comments fair, very well. So uh, not that it will undermine completely anything that Blinken managed to achieve, but it may undermine it a little bit. Uh, I would expect an angry uh, retort or angry response from Beijing uh, to these remarks by Joe Biden. Again, uh, not clear why he uh, decided to make them. Uh, and, but, uh, you know, the system works, I guess, is my point. Uh, great news. On to Africa and Sudan, although news from the Darfur region continues to be spotty, there are indications that some sort of massacre might have taken place in the West Darfur capital of Jenina last week. According to Reuters, citing a resident of the city, a large group of civilians attempted to take refuge at a local army base on Wednesday, but were attacked by militias, presumably aligned with the rapid support forces. The Doctors Without Borders charity claimed on Monday that it had tracked some 15,000 people fleeing Janina over the previous four days, which does track with a major violent incident. And it said that many of the people who fled reported having seen many people killed uh, as they were fleeing. Uh, the killing of the governor of West Darfur State last week, which we, we covered in the newsletter, likely by uh, the RSF or its tribal affiliates, uh, probably pre precipitated the exodus, although it's hard to say uh, for sure. According to the UN, some 2.5 million people have now been displaced across Sudan since the RSF and the military began their conflict back in mid-April. 
in Somalia, a battle broke out on Tuesday in the capital of Somalia's Puntland region, Garaway, uh, apparently connected to a bitter political dispute in the local parliament. The legislature was debating proposed changes to electoral law that cr uh, critics claim would help regional president Saeed Abdullahi Deni fend off potential challengers. At least 26 people were killed in the fighting, at least 16 of them combatants, and another 30 were wounded. Also on Tuesday, multiple bombs killed at least 10 people in a village in Somalia's lower Shabella region. There is no indication as to responsibility, but I think it's safe to assume that a Shabab was involved. In the Democratic Republic of the Congo, the British government blacklisted two militant leaders based in the eastern DRC, the Kodeko militias Desiree Lon uh, Londroma and uh, Jukpa, uh, and Maima Yaktumba, uh, Yak. Yakutumba, sorry, my, my Yakutumba leader, uh, William Yakutumba. Uh, also newly sanctioned uh, by the British are Syrian Defense Minister Ali Mahmoud Abbas and Military Chief Abdul Karim Mahmoud Ibrahim. All of them are facing the usual package of asset freezes and travel bans. On to Europe and Ukraine, uh, Deputy Defense Minister Hanna Maliar claimed on Monday that Ukraine's counteroffensive had recovered an eighth village since kicking off earlier this month. She went on to say that the, uh, quote, the biggest blow is yet to come, end quote. I have no idea what that's supposed to mean, but the bar has not exactly been, been set very high so far. If that biggest blow involves using Western-supplied arms to strike at Russian-occupied Crimea, Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu threatened on Tuesday to retaliate by striking Ukrainian quote-unquote decision-making centers. Uh, who knows what that means? Well, I think you can probably guess. Uh, there is currently no indication that the Ukrainians are planning something like that, but if they really intend to try and regain control over the peninsula, it stands to reason they'll have to attack it at some point. Maybe they'll stick to domestic weapons in that case. Uh, Ukrainian officials did claim on Tuesday that they've manufactured a domestic drone with a 1,000-kilometer range. There is no confirmation of that. Uh, the Russian military bombarded Ukraine with some 35 explosive drones early Tuesday. Ukrainian officials claim their air defenses shot down 32 of them. Most of the projectiles targeted Kyiv, but a few were able to make it as far west as Lviv, which does indicate a failure of those same air defenses or some weaknesses there. The Ukrainian government on Tuesday repatriated three POWs out of a group of 11 uh, who were released by Russia into the custody of the Hungarian government earlier this month. Details on this are spotty, but the Ukrainians complained on Monday that they'd gotten no response from Budapest to their inquiries about the 11 individuals. It's unclear why the Russians handed them over to the Hungarians, not the Ukrainians. It's conceivable the POWs themselves requested it for some reason. One could certainly imagine scenarios under which these POWs were expecting a hostile reception in Ukraine, for example. Uh, similarly, it is unclear why these three in particular were handed over to the Ukrainians on Tuesday. Uh, and the Pentagon has miraculously found another bank error in its favor after determining back in March that it had overvalued the materiel it had sent to Ukraine by some $3 billion, potentially freeing up that much money for new arms shipments. On Tuesday, the department announced that, can you believe it? They actually overvalued the equipment by $6.2 billion. That could mean another $3 billion or so freed up for more guns and the like. How lucky, how fortuitous. 
Uh, in Finland, the Finnish parliament on Tuesday confirmed the country's new right-wing government led by National Liberal Party boss Petteri Orpo as prime minister. Orpo's coalition includes the far-right Finns party and intends, and this is a real shocker, to block immigration and asylum seekers while instituting spending and tax cuts. Go figure. Who could have predicted that a right-wing government would do right-wing things? Uh, on a similar note, in Spain, a new poll from El País has Spain's Conservative People's Party winning between 128 and 142 seats in next month's parliamentary election, pulling comfortably ahead of the ruling Socialist Party's 99 to 109 seats. With the far-right Vox Party polling between 37 and 41 seats, the path to a 175-seat majority and therefore to Spain's furthest right government since Francisco Franco seems pretty wide open. On to the Americas in Cuba. The Wall Street Journal has shifted from fear-mongering about a potential Chinese spy installation there to fear-mongering about a potential Chinese military training facility uh, that could include quarters for Chinese soldiers and some sort of spy unit within it. Uh, needless to say, the lives of you and everyone you've ever loved are in imminent danger either way. Uh, according to the WSJ report, the Biden administration is trying to convince the Cuban government not to go forward with the plan. And given how much goodwill the U.S. government has established with its Cuban counterpart over the years, I have to assume Havana will definitely be receptive to that message. Uh, and finally, uh, in the United States, uh, there's a piece of foreign affairs by economist Bronco Milanovic that I think is very interesting. It argues that while inequality within nations continues to rise, global inequality is declining, which has some interesting implications uh, for the West. I'll just read a, a couple of paragraphs from the intro to this piece. Um, the term global inequality refers to the income disparity between all citizens of the world at a given time, adjusted for the differences in prices between countries. It is commonly measured by the Gini coefficient, which runs from zero, a hypothetical case of full equality in which every person earned the same amount, to 100, another hypothetical case in which a single individual made all the income. Thanks to the empirical work of many researchers, economists can draw the overall contours of the change in estimated global inequality over the past two centuries. From the advent of the Industrial Revolution, Revolution in the early 19th century to about the middle of the 20th century, global inequality rose as wealth became concentrated in Western industrialized countries. It peaked during the Cold War when the globe was commonly divided into the first world, the second world, and the third world, denoting three levels of economic development. But then, around 20 years ago, global inequality began to fall, largely thanks to the economic rise of China, which until recently was the world's most populous country. Global inequality reached its height on the Gini Index of 69.4 in 1988. It dropped to 60.1 in 2018, a level not seen since the end of the 19th century. Progress toward greater global equality is not inevitable. China has now grown too wealthy to help meaningfully reduce global inequality, and big countries such as India may not grow to the extent necessary to have the kind of effect China did. Much will depend on how countries in Africa fare. The continent could power the next great reduction in global poverty and inequality. But even if global inequality falls, that does not mean that the social and political turmoil in individual countries will diminish. If anything, the opposite is true. Because of vast differences in global wages, Poor Westerners for decades have ranked among the highest earning people in the world. That will no longer be the case as non-Westerners with rising incomes will displace poor and middle-class Westerners from their lofty perches. Such a shift will underscore the polarization in rich countries between those who are wealthy by global standards and those who are not. 
uh, very interesting stuff. Uh, you, you should uh, check it out if you can. Click through the link and uh, and read the piece. I do think it's uh, interesting to think about. Um, I am not an economist, so uh, you know, don't go by me. Uh, on that note, thanks to all of you for reading and or listening to the newsletter. Uh, I know I've rushed here a little bit, but it is uh, late and there was a lot to cover, so hopefully I didn't go too fast. Uh, and um, until next time... And oh, a special thanks, of course, uh, to those of you who are foreign exchange subscribers, especially paid foreign exchange subscribers. And if you haven't made that jump, please do consider it. Uh, until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.